2: We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to the show. This is Liz Dolan. I'm in the Wondery Sunset Studio in West Hollywood, California, all by myself here today. Jewel, Leon is uh, on assignment, as they say. <laughs> Leon has today off. <laughs>
1: right, right. So are you, how are you doing there by yourself, good, sister? Good. Okay, yeah,
2: not totally. Of course, we have Sergio here, who takes such good care of us, Sergio, our engineer. Okay. Sergio Enriquez. But uh, yeah, you know, but it's tense when Leanne's not here because she's the boss, you know, and we we want to make sure we do a good job even when she's not here.
1: That's right, Liz. It's a lot of pressure. We know she's going to hear the show. Hey, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. Uh, I'm an empty nester, an urban nana. And today I'm coming to you from my closet in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Oh, that must be nice. That must be
2: beautiful. Trying to
1: extend my summer vacation. It's actually absolutely beautiful here. And Liz, can we just, can I just start off by, uh, because I know I sent you and Leanne, possibly Sheila, a text as well about how, how wonderful it was to see on our Facebook group all the photos of the Edna Dolan 4th of July blueberry muffins. I People, I, we I know, just It was so loved beautiful. All, it was so sweet. Were, it was so sweet. And uh, I texted you and I said, I know our mom would have been so touched to see those blueberry muffins yeah. all over the country, right. you know, in <laughs> all kinds of different situations. Uh-huh. You know, and that was... That was really fun, uh, you know. Certainly, next to Thanksgiving. Uh, Fourth of July was one of her big holidays, For and she sure. went all out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know she was, she'd was she be very happy thinking about all those blueberry muffins out there in the world.
2: <laughs> yes, it was very emotional. And some good-looking blueberry muffins, i got to say. There were a couple of funny fails that people copped to, but mainly some delicious-looking
1: muffins. <laughs> really, really outstanding <laughs> blueberry muffins. Are, well, honestly, our moms never looked quite as, as spectacular as some of those but uh, there were a few people all the way around people
2: all the way around so we do have a very full show for you today we're starting at the sports desk because there were a couple of really wonderful sports things going on um over the course of the holiday uh especially for women then a brief visit at the foreign policy desk right jewel
1: Yes, geopolitical flashpoints, Liz. Okay, now I know Leon would never have allowed this in the in the rundown, but we're going to do some today. Okay,
2: all right, but it's going to be anecdotal geopolitical flashpoints. Right? Oh yes, oh
1: yeah, There's... all fun, all fun. A lot, a lot. We're going to have a lot of fun with those flashpoints, and then mm-hmm. we're
2: dropping way down to Tuesday trends. You've got a few.
1: Well, I I have some excellent ones that I think everybody can get on board with.
2: All right. And then I have uh, two travel updates. One was, uh, one is about my travels with Hooper. We just had like a 10-day road trip, a couple of lessons about uh, traveling with your dog that I want to share or questions, really. And then another, I have a brand new goal of a place I want to go in my travels. And it's... And it's New York City, but I, but I'll tell you why a place I've never been in New York City that now is right at the top of my list. But first, let's just talk about that women's World Cup team. Yay, rah, rah, USA! It was so emotional, wasn't it?
1: I I mean, it really was thrilling. The stakes were really high. They they rose to the occasion, and yes, uh, yes. it was thrilling to see them win. And you know, it's just a great story. Yeah. Well, speaking of, this, speaking of Rose. Yeah, you have a you have a real background with uh women's World Cup and with the women's I soccer do. team. So yeah, what do you? Th-
2: well, I do. You know, first of all, it was super exciting to watch the the final on Sunday, but I watched the semifinal with our brother Dick earlier in the week because I was in Bend, Oregon. We were just like laying around in his living room watching the game, having fun, and he said his favorite player was Rose Lavelle. So he's like, she's got it all. And you're like really raving about Rose. So I was so happy when she scored in the final. I felt very personally connected to her at that point. Plus, I just really love the the personal power that all of the women on this team show, bo- both as individuals and as a team. You know, so they're our first Satellite Sisters of the Week today because, you know, we just love them. And especially the the team spirit they have you know we've always said at satellite sisters that like Interdependence is where it's at, right? Being able to count on each other, stick up for each other, defend each other. And you could just see so much of that spirit in the way they played the game. So so that was cool. But you're right. I do have a personal connection to this event because 20 years ago, when I first left my job at Nike, I was running marketing at Nike, and I left there. It's when we were starting to invent Satellite Sisters, mm-hmm. but as a, which was, you know, not so much a pay- which it was still
1: in the closet. Yes, it was, right. Yes. We, we, had to, we had to keep our day jobs yeah. during the yeah. period. Yes. So
2: so my day job, the first gig that I took was to run the marketing for the 1999 Women's World Cup, which, you know, that was the fantastic opening game at Giants Stadium, the closing game at the Rose Bowl, the big Brandy Chastain moment, like all yeah. of that. I was very engaged with that whole thing as a marketing project, but also as a cultural moment. And I worked with a a business partner of mine at Nike, actually also left the company at the same time, Rosemary, who you know, because she was also helping us start Satellite Sisters. So Rosemary and I, and actually our brother Brendan all worked on the 1999 uh, Women's World Cup, so that was, you know, that great team of Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy and Christine Lilly. So, but there were, and there were great things about that moment. Obviously, it was a real moment in women's
1: sports history. Uh, Can but- I say that, Liz? Can I just interrupt because prior to that? I mean, people had pretty low expectations for like who would watch women's soccer, yeah. right? It yeah. wasn't. I mean, I mean, when you were brought in to do the marketing um, for that, it was it was a tough challenge because it. Uh, while it was a very popular sport in the United States, it wasn't like a lot of people came to the stadiums right. to watch women's soccer. or It wasn't a big television event the way we now just accept it as yeah. a big, exciting television event.
2: No, I I give all credit to Marla Messing ran that organization, the Women's World Cup Organizing Committee. She was the, I think, CEO was her title. And she just insisted. FIFA wanted to put all the games in, like, little college stadiums. She's like, No. No, we are not doing that. This is our moment. We are going to put the games in big stadiums. And they were like, you're crazy. You are never going to be able to do that. So there was just a lot of pressure to sell the sold like 10 times more tickets to every event that had ever been sold before. So that was a big challenge. She also insisted that the television network televised every game. They were only going to televise like the semifinals and the finals. She's like, no, nope, no, nope, you need to put every game on TV. And if it wasn't for her, like, we're going to do this, people. We're This is our moment. You know, I'm not sure we would have been in the big stadiums. We definitely wouldn't have been on TV that much. And you wouldn't have had this sort of historic moment where Everyone got to remember the game was tied nil-nil, zero-zero uh, after extra time. And then the U.S. sank all five penalty kicks to to beat China. And there were 90,000 fans at the Rose Bowl and 18 million TV viewers. So it was just like a moment. So here we are 25 years later. And I love the fact that that cultural moment has moved on to something even bigger, because that was a real U.S. moment, but I'm not sure, like, it changed the rest of the world. But this time around, do you know there was a 25% increase in the global television ratings for this event? And you can see it. I had friends who went to various parts of the tournament around France, and they said it was fantastic to see how many Americans turned up, but it was also especially fantastic to see how many people from around Europe turned up to see their own teams and root for their own teams and a lot of you know fathers and sons and things you wouldn't necessarily have seen with women's football as they say 20 years ago so to see all of that, to see how great all the teams were from around Europe now, it's just like it's just more competitive. That's what you. Oh want. yeah, I,
1: that's the thing. the 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 play was so exciting to watch. Yes. Every match was yes. really very exciting. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so, and my friend Rosemary, the aforementioned Rosemary, who worked together with us on the '99 World Cup, she's now been back at Nike for a while, and she's in charge of all women's marketing for the entire company, including the World Cup. So she was in the stadium at Lyon and she was texting me. And at the very end, she texted me just a video of all of the fans staying and cheering and just going crazy. And it was just like, it really got me choked up to see. How much it had really continued to grow in the twenty years since ninety nine, and it's just a, it's just a, it made me very emotional that it was Good. like it was still growing. It's still those all the women from all the teams were just out there just doing an awesome job, and all of the fans were so engaged. So, you know, you, you just have to love that.
1: The only so thing, Liz, let me ask you, where do you think it goes from here? Do you think it gets even bigger? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or yeah. what? Yeah, I think it can get bigger. I mean, I, there are still plenty
2: of parts of the world where a woman playing any kind of sport is not really accepted or encouraged and look even in the United States the women get paid less than the men that's obviously been a big issue I think they were really out to prove in this tournament not only that they were the best in the world but they could like drive the entertainment factor look we've got the tv ratings we've got the jersey sales. like what more do you want from us (laughs) and I feel like they they really delivered that message like come on They are actually a more profitable team for U.S. soccer than the men's national team. So, like, they went out there. They had a lot to prove. And I I think they did it. So who knows where it can go? They did it. So I know
1: they're getting a big ticker tape parade in New York. That's exciting. And I guess they're going to be on some kind of victory tour so hats off to all of them. I mean, yes. that was really, really exciting. So. I
2: was, yes. Okay, we will just leave that there. I was going to bag on the men's national team for a little bit, but I'm not even going to bother to do that. Let's... Don't do it, Liz. <laughs> you're,
1: you're filled with a positive spirit. I am. Okay,
2: okay so w- the right. Women's World Cup team, our first Satellite Sisters of the Week. Now you have another, Julie, from the I sports team. I do desk. have
1: another one, and that would be the 15-year-old sensation Coco Goff, who um, who was, made her just a spectacular showing in uh, the tennis tournament, the Wimbledon tennis tournament. She's 15 years old, Liz, and that was what was so great about it. She was so 15, and <laughs> then she wasn't at the same time. Yeah. I mean, in the first round, she beat her idol, Venus Williams. And at the end of it, she was in tears because mm. this was the woman that she had looked up to. You know, this is the woman who had inspired her. To want to play tennis and to meet her at wimbledon and to beat her i mean it was amazing uh but without a doubt the to me the most exciting part of it was the third round match she had against herzog and i have been in and out because i've been out hiking here in steamboat uh so i actually miss i did not watch the match but I knew the final score, and I knew that Coco had won. And when I sat down to watch the match, I still could not believe how she won. <laughs> I kept saying because she was she saved three. She she pretty much lost the match and then turned around and won. It. I mean she was. I mean I kept saying, oh well, I'm sure she's going to turn it around at any second, and she wasn't. So it was spectacular for her. It was. To see her grit, to see her determination, her skill, her talent, and she's and to have it be a young star, you yeah, know, Liz, yeah. I mean, we haven't really had that on the tennis scene. Right. A lot of our, uh, you know, the big players now are in their 30s, you know, they've been around for a while, and to see her just on the court was, you know, is really exciting, and I hope she has a, gr- you know, a great, great career, but I have to say my one of my favorite parts of it has to be her parents, and Liz, You've been, you and I have been to tennis matches together, uh-huh. and if, any, if you've watched it on TV, you know that usually the family, the friends, the coaches of, uh, of the players, tennis players, they sit there stone-faced, right? <laughs> they wear sunglasses, they wear hats, they don't show any uh, – rarely do they show a lot of emotion. They try and to control I,
2: themselves. It's considered more polite, I guess, but right. not as entertaining as what right. the, what we saw
1: here. I mean, with Coco's parents, they were like A-Y-S-O parents. I mean, (laughs) they were in pain when she was behind in the match. But then when she started to come back, when she tied it up, they were cheering her on like every Little League parent ever. And it just, it made me so happy to see, you know, they were just uh, how much support she had, how how much they were so excited for her. Um, That was really, really fun. So I hope she, you know, she's going to be playing in the U.S. Open and uh, it's a lot of pressure because she's mm-hmm. only 15 mm-hmm. but i hope we hope uh, to see her again and so really a great wi- week for women athletes for female american athletes uh, mm-hmm. Just all the way around to, you know, two great satellite sister stories, I think.
2: Yes, yes, for sure. And if you haven't seen any of those moments, Julie's talking about, it, about the parents in the box. It's all over Twitter and all, of, all over the Internet. Just Google Coco's parents and you will get to participate in like the agony of defeat, the joy of victory, the whole thing, the roller coaster. It is really, really fun to see. Okay, the last big thing, another, so Coco's the Satellite Sister of the Week. Next Satellite Sister of the Week is Southern California's own Dr. Lucy Jones because we had a couple of earthquakes here. I know, I know,
1: but you weren't even in town, right, no, Liz? No,
2: I was up in Oregon, but we all got a text from Leanne the moment it happened, right?
1: Right, Leanne Leon wrote a text that said, crazy, because you because she had gone to the Rose Bowl, to see some special event about the Apollo 11 uh, landing. Right. Uh, So she was, she was said the bowl was, must be, was a freaky place to be. Sheila weighed in, our sister Sheila, she said she needed a weighted vest because <laughs> to calm her down. Rolling, rolling so much. Uh, she, uh, Leon said the whole Rose Bowl was swaying. Uh, wow. So uh, wow. it was really, a, you know, a scary situation for a lot of people. We thank everybody on Facebook who checked in, uh, uh, you know, uh, Southern California sisters that uh, – Those were big earthquakes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was glad to be away. But then again, I was like, oh, what's happening in Santa Monica? If if Leon and Sheila are both talking about like the giant waves and whoa, that was a big one. And lots of other people on Twitter saying, wow, I never felt anything like that. I texted a couple of my neighbors in my building in Santa Monica, just like pretending to care about how are you, but really wanting them to just <laughs> tell me how the building <laughs> oh, the building was? Yeah, your, your whole building. Is, you have
1: all that nice... <laughs> you know how friendly we are. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, but first I texted my friend Deborah across the hall, Deborah, and I was like, hey, I saw a big earthquake. Like, how you doing? Everything cool there? And she was in Chicago with her dad. So that didn't help at all. She's like, oh, there was an earthquake. Let me look into that. Then I texted another neighbor, Paula, and who was home. So she reassured me that everything in Santa Monica was cool and the building was good. And uh, so I felt a little bit guilty that she immediately knew that I was asking about the building, even though I was pretending to ask about her. Uh, but anyway, that's...
1: <laughs> but that's you know, a whole another story. Yeah,
2: yeah. But there's a lot of action here. So if you watched any of the news coverage of the earthquake, you saw uh, Dr. Lucy Jones, who is a seismologist for the U.S. Geological Survey for, for 33 years. She's sort of been... The voice of earthquakes in California, yeah. right, Jewel? Even when you were here, you lived here during the Northridge earthquake. She was probably
1: still the person yeah, in charge She was of- the one providing the expertise. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So I'm very familiar with Dr. Lucy Jones. I mean, in other parts of the country, you have your go-to people for hurricanes, you know, the mm-hmm. forecasters that you can really count on for hurricanes or, you know, for tornado uh, forecasting or tracking. Well, in Southern California, it's Dr. Lucy Jones. Yeah. She is your earthquake expert. Yeah. And I've
2: actually read her book that came out last year. It's called The Big Ones, How Natural Disasters Have Shaped Us, and more importantly, what we can do about them. So I'm not going to take you through all of her tips, Uh because really, there's not that much you can do. I mean, come on. Um, but But one thing she says here, which really stuck out to me, she was talking about what our policies need to be and how to prepare our cities. She said, but policymakers need to focus on the what not the when, which is, that's what you hear from your husband, the geologist, a lot. Yes, right, I,
1: I have a resident geologist yes. who was tracking both of these large quakes, and uh, his his quote was, these are large quakes, okay, <laughs> and... And of course, the next question is, well, you know, does this mean, you know, there's going to be another one? You cannot p- predict earthquakes. That's uh-huh. the problem. So yeah. keep that in mind. But he is intrigued, Liz. That's the word that he used by the, by the location of these tra- uh, uh-huh. these earthquakes, you know, really? the, uh, because they're farther east, that they were not on the San Andreas Fault, mm-hmm. and that perhaps the working theory that there's, you know, the kink in the uh, San Andreas Fault that there's, you know, it's all sort of locked in there. So in order to relieve pressure, things are moving farther east. He's intrigued with that intrigued. theory. He's not, <laughs> is, he, is that like He's hearing... not adhering to it. He's <laughs> not promoting it. He's intrigued with it, Liz. He said the last time, 18... Uh 1872, there was a Lone Pine earthquake that's happened. And that was a sizable earthquake, 7.4 to 7.9, 27 seven people perished in that. Um, and he was talking to some of his other geology friends. And uh, they said it might be very interesting to be around in Southern California in another million years to see how different the um, coastline is
2: going to look. <laughs> oh, in a million years. Okay. And what if we can't wait for
1: a million years? For a hundred million years, you know. <laughs> (laughs) Or or, geologic time. yeah. It's also also important to remember, Liz, that this this earthquake, according to my husband, that the activity um, that we've just seen east of the San Andreas Fault, that this activity doesn't indicate any increased risk for the San Andreas Fault. But that's because. It's already a super risky fault. So there you have that.
2: Okay, that's your good news, Does bad that make news you feel better scenario. No,
1: there's no good news. There's no good news where you live. You live in a highly active area, Liz. I know. Things My- are happening out there. You know? I
2: know. My neighborhood is actually designated a liquefaction zone. And that's just not where you want to be living when the big one hits. But what are you going to do about it? Didn't know that when I, when I bought the place. Anyway, one last thing I want to say about uh, Dr. Lucy Jones, because, um, I just love her. she It's like she doesn't age either. Have you noticed that? <laughs> just like... It looks
1: good. But I was... I mean, I, I, I'm aging, but she's not. She's so maybe, not. Maybe it's just all this work with seismology keeps Some, you young.
2: Something is keeping her young. So I was re rereading her bio last night, and it said, a research associate at Caltech, she holds a Ph.D. in geophysics from MIT, and get this, this was the surprise, a B.A., in Chinese Language and Literature from Brown University. Okay, I went to Brown, so that made me, that was exciting. But Dr. Lucy Jones got her BA in Chinese Language and Literature. So there you go, people. You know, I, I appreciate the humanities, literature, look at that. And she's gone on to greatness in science, so it can be done. It,
1: it can be done. Uh, all right, well, we just stay safe out there. Yes. That's all I can say. Make sure you have your earthquake bag, do all your preparations, you know. Yeah. So, otherwise there's
2: nothing else we can do. Okay, we're going to take a break to thank a few sponsors. And then when we get back, uh, Julie's at the foreign policy desk. Don't tell don't tell Leah.
0: Hey, it's Liz and Leah here and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know Liz, I've been out and about It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Liam's. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Mm-hmm. Rose isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And prose is spelled P-R-O-S-E, Pros.com slash sisters.
2: Thanks, prose. All right, we are back. And uh, when Julie sent me her notes uh, for today, this one was under the category of
1: Geopolitical Flashpoints. So. Flashpoints, Liz. I thought that would get you going. Yes. Uh, okay. But no, I wanted to tell you about a couple weeks ago, uh, I went to a lecture at the Bush Presidential Library. Uh, and the and the title of the lecture was Geo- Geopolitical Flashpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds pretty sexy. But w- I was invited and my husband and I were invited by Ian Bremmer, who was one of the speakers. Uh, Ian Bremmer is a professor at NYU. He's He's also head of the Eurasia Group. You may have seen him. He's on TV all the time talking about geopolitical flashpoints, Liz. <laughs> OK, so we're going to
2: get so- a short course via Ian Bremmer.
1: All right, but so so the Presidential Library, the Bush Presidential Library is beautiful. If you're in Dallas, you should put it on your list of places to go. They always have interesting exhibits. They have great speakers. I have been there one other time to hear some North Korean defectors, so I was very happy to go back. But this time because we were going as the guest of Ian Bremmer, we had we uh we had met him much earlier when uh when we were living in Moscow, uh, and it was very nice to extend us a, a you know a VIP invitation to come hear him speak.
0: Wow! So we got
1: to go mm. to the VIP reception ahead <laughs> of time, Liz. You know that's the little wine and cheese thing yeah. that they have, and you can talk to the speakers. So I was pretty psyched about you get that. Your so, flashpoint
2: sneak peek, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's right behind we're the scenes. So. So here we are, you know, we're we're hobnobbing at this uh, little uh, reception and I I went to get a glass of white wine, as you do at geopolitical flashpoint (laughs) receptions, you know? Yes. And so I went over and the bartender took out this cup, it was a plastic cup. It has a lovely American flag on it, presidential kind of seal. Uh-huh. But he gave—he poured my wine into a sippy cup. It's a presidential sippy cup. You oh. know, it had the lid, it's identical lid locking system yeah. that I use for my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That's what they serve drinks in at the Bush Library. Because apparently they do not want people spilling you know, red wine on the carpet. Oh, um, right. Or white wine or a mixed drink. So they serve everything in presidential sippy cups. Oh, okay. Which,
2: Good insight behind the
1: scenes. Just, which which is really uh, get to it was keep unusual. It? Yeah. it was a first for me, Liz. Uh-huh. So then. So I so I was excited. So we have you know, I'm sipping my sippy cup and they said, Okay, now it's time to go into the auditorium. And again, because we were in Ian Bremer's guests, we got to sit in the front row. So we got we went in the front row and I sit in this chair, Liz, and And my feet don't touch the ground. So I got my sippy cup and my feet are dangling (laughs) this chair. And I'm like, what is happening here? You know, I felt a little like Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Have I like shrunk or something? Yeah. But then it just dawned on me. Because again, I've sat in this auditorium before. It seemed like regular, very nice auditorium (laughs) seats. But the front row is they have essentially thrones that people can sit in. And because... They have a lot of people who are used to sitting on thrones coming Uh. to the Bush library uh, to hear various um, speeches and and participate in various conversations. So the front row of the library Mm. is that these seats are, well, they're quite something, Liz. So they're Uh, they're usually, the
2: seats are usually held by, say, heads of state. Not, not, not the People legs of used. you not, and your husband. Not,
1: not me. Not satellite sisters <laughs> with the with the presidential sippy cup.
2: Okay, But there
1: I was. So I'm liking it. Was a, little, it. a little unnerving, but I got my balance. I, I sort of. Steadied myself in the throne, and I'm not. It was it was fascinating. He was speaking with Ian Bremer and Neil Ferguson from the Hoover Institute, two like super duper smart guys. And what I would have to say is they were beyond politics. Their uh-huh. analysis, their insights, uh, they were equally critical of you know the current administration, <laughs> the previous administration, the Clinton administration, even the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. They just they just see patterns and things that, you know, were very useful. So six six things from my ge- okay. flashpoints that you <laughs> need to know. <laughs> right? Flashpoints, okay. Number one, here, here we go. So it's sort of a lightning round for you, sister. <laughs> one, Russia, of course, meddled in the last election. And two, Russia is meddling again. So that's okay. the first flashpoint. Two, both of them said the rise of China is bigger than the fall of the Soviet Union.
2: Oh, okay. Think
1: about that. Three, this is the scariest one, that China has leapfrogged in technology in the last five years. Mm. That they are so far advanced in technology, it is it is something for us to really be alarmed about. And I wrote down in my little notes when I got home and put my sippy cup down, uh, the word AI, need to learn more about AI, because they were talking about that.
2: Do we actually have to learn it or can they just learn it and tell us about it? Yeah,
1: well, we need to understand what it is, Liz, and what the implications are. Got it. Okay. So put that on your. AI.
2: AI. that's Artificial intelligence, people. Okay. Okay.
1: Next one. Then we have a new Cold War going on, China versus the US. Yeah. But here's the other part of it. But maybe not with Europe. Like Europe is not necessarily backing the US right now in our Cold War with China. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you've seen that. They're buying
2: technology from China that the US doesn't want them to buy. Right. Right. Okay. Continuing on. Okay, Okay. That was a
1: flashpoint. Yeah. Fifth flashpoint. The Germans are now see the U.S. as a bigger threat than either China or Russia.
2: Well, Germany. OK, I feel Hold like on. there should be okay. some follow up questions here, but we may not have time in our lightning no, round. No, but... This
1: is I just had to take a sip from my sippy cup when he when he said that. I was like, oh, and okay. then finally, and this, this is not good news. Britain, Brexit situation. It's really doomed. Yeah. That's it. Uh, OK, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's all doomed. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that was it. But it was a fascinating night. Uh, I, you know, enjoyed being there. Uh, I was honored to be there to sit on the throne to drink. <laughs> I said, drink my white wine out of my sippy cup. And uh, you can follow up on on any of those geopolit- geopolitical flashpoints.
2: Okay. Yeah. Just Google any of that. Okay. Thank you, Julie. That was uh, that was very well done. It's nice that. This is what you do in your spare time. You go out to learn more about geopolitical flashpoints.
1: I well, I, I mean, I we don't live overseas anymore, but I'm still very much interested in what's happening around the world. And it's interesting that our the experience of living in Russia is still really relevant to understanding what is happening in Russia today. Yeah. So Okay. Well, there you have it.
2: All right, I want to move on to another uh flash flashpoint, um, more in American culture. We kind of waded into this a little bit a few weeks ago when Leon brought up the whole alternative milk <laughs> flashpoint. Like, what yes. is really milk? Is a nut milk a milk? Does it have to be from a cow or a goat? We you know, we had we had some opinions on that, a little bit of a debate, you know, and I can see why that's Debatable, like what the word milk should be applied to. Um, But then I saw another article last week that is like, okay, now, wait, no, this is a bridge too far. This is a story in Vox where the headline is Mississippi is forbidding grocery stores from calling veggie burgers, veggie burgers, Julie. So
1: I don't understand that. Here's what what they're saying.
2: You can't apply the word burger to anything that is not. Slaughtered li- livestock, so you can't say veggie burger or even vegan hot dog. Uh, words like burger and hot dog would be permitted only for products of slaughtered livestock. Proponents of the law, proponents claim the law is necessary to avoid confusing consumers. But given that the phrase, I don't know, veggie burger, I don't find that confusing. Do you? I don't
1: find that confusing. I'm more confused. Like how? How are they categorizing? A tuna burger, Liz, right? Uh, or a salmon burger? You know uh, what? What because that's not necessarily livestock, uh, but those are yeah. definitely burgers, right? Right, they are burgers. I I think
2: I think we get to apply the word burger wherever we want. I think it's different.
1: anything between a bun, Liz, is a burger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or a lettuce inside the guess. lettuce wrap. If you're going that way, you okay, know. Okay, okay, yeah, that's right. I just yeah. wanted to bring that up. Like, there are plenty of things that are worth debating. I don't think this is one of them. I think we get to call anything we want a burger and you don't okay. get to you don't get to pass laws about this. Okay? Can we well, agree that, to that?
1: Again, is this the highest and best use of our taxpayer dollars <laughs> that we're no, passing? No. No. Is that is this because um like burger makers, meat burger makers sure. are feeling threatened by yeah. veggie burgers? Yeah. Yeah. The same way the dairy people are threatened
2: by, you know, nut milk. So, yeah. I understand the motivation. I'm just I am not going to be following this law. So what are you
1: supposed to be calling those veggie patties
2: then? I don't know. Are you
1: able to use the word patty? is that that outlawed too?
2: I'm going to have to call the American Civil Liberties Union, Julie, to find out about can we use the word patty without risking uh, incarceration. So anyway, we can move on. I just want to put that out there. No, no. I... A burger is a burger is a burger. I get to call anything I want a burger. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. okay. Okay, Liz. Okay. Well, you know, it is Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Even if in the summer, we have Tuesday trends. I'm hard at work scanning the universe to find some, uh, some trends for, for us. And the first trend I have up, Liz, is something that I think maybe – um, everyone that's participating in Operation Sea Turtle can really get behind. This okay. is a trend that started in Sweden, and it is um it is you know, because the Swedes are so advanced in so many ways that this is it has an athletic component to it, Liz, but it also has a social responsibility level Ooh, to, uh, okay. Uh, aspect to it. So I'm you know interested. you got to love that. Mm-hmm. The new thing is called plugging, Liz. <laughs> plogging, Liz. P L O G G I N G. Plogging. Okay. And what you do? What you do? You can do this as an individual plogger or you can do group plogging. It's it's up to you. But what you do is you go out for a run and as you run, you pick up trash that you see along the way on your route oh. you're plogging. Oh, so okay you're, you're running okay. you're picking up trash you're running you're picking up trash and here's the really good news i i, I don't think this is true liz but I, this is according to the world Plogging head, headquarters <laughs> uh that people who plug you know if you just run you're you're burning like 400 calories an hour uh-huh. but if you plug it's Five hundred and seventy-five calories an hour. Oh, oh! So it's actually better for you to do that uh,
2: until you just fall over and hit your head or something. That's what I would worry about. Just the why?
1: Just you mean bending? <laughs> the down the leaning
2: continue. over, the constant leaning over. Yeah, I lose track of where I am. Whoa! Next thing I know, I'm by the side of the road, <laughs> laying on the ground.
1: Well, Liz, but, no, you could squat. You could do a squat when you when oh, you go to okay. It up. Oh, okay. I mean, I but I I think it's something that we can get behind. I mean, it's popular in Sweden. They're trying to make this a worldwide uh, thing. So start plugging in your neighborhood. Okay? okay.
2: And you know what? I just this reminds me. This is more than twenty years ago. This would have been the late eighties. Again, back in my back in my days at Nike, I remember having a conversation with Joan Benoit Samuelson one time. And, you know, you may remember Joni, first woman ever to win an Olympic gold medal in the marathon you know, Maine's own Joan Benoit Samuelson. And we were talking about like her career and how she started running and all of that. And she said back in the day when she first started running, you know, long training runs because she was a marathoner. It was so unusual to see a, you know, she's like a teenage girl, young woman on the road running by herself that when cars went by, she used to lean over and pretend she was picking up garbage, Julie, because she thought it was too weird to just be out there running that people wouldn't oh. they wouldn't think she was so weird if uh if she pretended to be picking up garbage. So we can at least be grateful that that has changed. She went on to win a gold oh. medal. So nobody thinks it's weird to see women out running anymore. But it used to be such an unusual thing that she pretended that's not what she was doing. <laughs> She was picking. A, she, she was, was the plogging. original plogger. She was the original okay, plogger. I
1: think, I think when the, we, there is a plogging museum, there will be a statue <laughs> to Joni Benoit. Yes. Okay. Okay, Liz. This second trend comes to comes to comes to us from from one of my friends. Grace Ann sent this to me, and uh, I wanted to know if you want to get on board with this. Although, uh-huh. although I know you're not going to want to. But get this, Liz. Airports are now. Opening up their terminals for tourists who just want to hang out. Okay, so here's, a, here's an example at the Pittsburgh International Airport, um, almost, uh, almost once a week, Chuck Hughley brings his granddaughter, three-year-old granddaughter, to the Pittsburgh International Airport. Uh, And they ride the trams, they go on the moving sidewalks, they look (laughs) at the planes, they stop in at one of the concession stands, and they're able to do this because they get what is known as a non-traveler's pass. Now, Mm -hmm. I've never heard of this. No, me neither. uh, Apparently, in certain participating airports, Pittsburgh is one. Tampa, they're considering doing it at SeaTac, the Seattle airport. Atlanta is also considering it. Detroit, I'm very happy to hear Austin is looking into this as well. And somewhere between 50 to 100, 150 people each day are issued these Non-traveler's pass. So you have to go, I guess, check in somewhere to get one of these. You have to go through security. Uh, So you still have to go through the whole screening mechanism. But then you get to spend time looking at the beautiful art installations at the airports. you can, (laughs) you know, there, you know, many airports have, you know, live music. I know. Portland does. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Micro breweries. Yeah. They have playgrounds. What do you think, Liz? Would you like to go to an airport (laughs) on your day off?
2: There is no amount of money you could pay me to voluntarily go to an airport when I'm not flying. Like, I can understand if you never fly. There. There's a lot of entertainment in airport, for sure, and starting with the planes. If you're a kid looking at those planes, it must be super cool. But I didn't know there was anyone left in America that didn't go go to airports a lot anyway, because when I'm on a plane, it looks like everyone in America is already there flying somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I am not the target audience for this. How about you, Jewel?
1: Would you ever do it? I, I... I'm actually intrigued with this idea. Uh, The urban Nana in me, I I think this would be fun to take your grandchildren to the airport. Like Uh a really hot day during the summer, a rainy day. Hey, let's go to the airport. Let's go look at some planes. The kids love those giant concourses. They love the moving sidewalks. I mean... You know, I mean, if, you know, Austin, they always have live music playing in that airport. That's a fantastic, they have yeah. barbecue in there, Liz. It's delicious. I mean, I would do it. It's like taking kids to a mall and not really shopping, you know, yeah. but just letting them run around in the mall. Uh, I think it can be very enjoyable. You uh, know, it does remind know, me. It rem- no. Go ahead. I, I don't know as like a frequent traveler if that would Bother you that like the people in front of you in the security line are not there for an actual flight. Oh god, so I hadn't even thought to... of
2: that. Oh my god. Oh okay, no, yeah, Gosh. that that had not dawned on me. They need their own line. Then get get your own line.
1: <laughs> That's. Okay, okay, you heard it from Liz. Get your own line. Get off my lawn. Okay, Liz. Okay. But
2: it does, I can see why it does have a certain theme park quality to kids. Because I remember, like, when we were kids and our mom would take us into New York City, we would take the train into New York, which was super exciting. (laughs) And then we would come into Grand Central, which was a pit in those days, by the way. But then our favorite part of all of New York City was the escalator that went from Grand Central up into the Pan Am building. Oh, we could just ride that escalator all day. And it was right under a wall that looked like a wall of Legos to us. So all mm-hmm. of the rest of New York City, we were only marginally interested
1: in, but the escalator <laughs> from See? Grand Central See, to the Pan Am building? It's just chock full, of, chock full of fun. Fascinating. So, uh, so perhaps this is coming to an airport near you and you might want to take advantage of it. Okay. All right. Well, those are
2: two good trends, Jewel. Um, uh the plugging? I I can I, see
1: you're never going I can see you're never gonna do the airport one, Liz. I can no, see that. No, but I can see you think that's a terrible idea, but you're just trying to be nice about it. I so am. thank you. I am. But you're plugging, with- I think you could do that, Liz. You know?
2: Okay. Well we're gonna take a break here and when we come back, I do have a couple of travel observations, other than the fact that you shouldn't voluntarily go to an airport and get in my way in the TSA line. But we're gonna take a little break here to thank a couple of sponsors and we'll be right back.
0: No antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz, right? Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your Your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. And we
2: are back. Okay, I mentioned that I did some traveling last week, Julie. It was a, oh. it was a long road trip with Hooper. And it was over 1,800 miles. I drove... From here to Palo Alto, California, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. working on a work project that meant that I needed to be uh, at a track meet for a couple of days at Stanford. So we were at Stanford for a couple of days, and then we carried on up to Bend, Oregon. And then I driving back to California, I stopped to see a friend in Santa Cruz, and then boom, I got home on Sunday night. So it was super fun. Uh, travels with my dog. But it was the first time ever that I've experienced a multi-day hotel stay with Hooper while I'm working. In other words... Like, what do you do with your dog all day when you're going
1: to work and you can't exactly? So you bring you couldn't him. take him to the track meet. No, I, I his I just, legs are too little. His legs his
2: legs yeah. are too short. I just had visions of these world class athletes tripping over my little dog and like a career ending injury because <laughs> someone didn't see Hooper because he's so short and just tripped over him. So it's the first time I've ever just like put the do not disturb sign on my door and then. I was out for, like, you know, six or seven hours. What are you going to do? I know.
1: Okay, and and Hooper is not kennel trained. He's not like no. sleeping in a kennel. No, no. no. He's just lying on the bed watching TV yes. or yeah. going in the mini bar, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, well, were you in a pet-friendly hotel? Yes, or was, yes, of course. This, no. Okay, was, you were in a pet-friendly I hotel. I was in a, yeah. yeah,
2: super, super friendly as a matter of fact. They were very happy to see him, but I just, you know, I, you're kind of afraid that, like, what if he just barks all day? What if, and they, they make you, when you sign in with a dog, you have to give them, like, your cell phone number so they, I guess it's so they can text you if right. your dog is so barking all they, day
1: if they are barking, yeah I, i've you know i've traveled with our dogs and yes i've we've checked into holiday inn expresses where like if your dog is barking yeah they, you know yeah. and you don't come back yes there's yes. going to be you have the, they give you all these warnings there's yes. going to be trouble there so did i just, but just you hear some barking in the background uh, is that uh, your
2: is that your dog did i just hear a dog bark i thought no. i did oh okay No, yeah, I was, and one of these was a Saturday morning. So on a Friday morning, I don't feel so bad if a dog starts barking at eight o'clock in the morning. But Saturday morning, you really don't want to do this. But anyway, I never got any kind of an alert from the hotel. I came back, and you just open the door, and you're like, "Mm, I wonder what's happened in here since I've been gone. But it was fine. It, It was just he seemed to be super good all day, all both days. No complaints. So you know that was a good thing to find out.
1: Then the well, other, that's good because that's an unusual situation. He wasn't in the you know your your home where right. he knows familiar surroundings. Right. I mean, he could have destroyed the bed. Yes. He could have. You he know, could have done any of those uh, things.
2: Right. He doesn't normally do those things, but whatever. It was successful. Now, was he barking for hours at a time? It's possible. <laughs> I mean, how are you really going to know what happened while you were gone? You assume that if it's really bad, if somebody complains, the hotel will text you. But nobody did. Whatever. So, Did you leave
1: the TV on for Hooper? No, I didn't. Should I have done that? Cause, well, I mean, just sometimes there's some noise. Yeah. So in case he is barking, people, again, and they walk by the room. Is that the TV or is that a dog barking See? Oh.
2: Okay, good idea. No, my friend Ralph who I was with working with on this project, he asked me if he had left the, if I had left the TV on cuz he said he leaves the TV on for his dog's all day every day. So, yeah, okay. So that was number 1. I guess it went okay. No complaints, all good. But then number 2, this was a super pet-friendly hotel. So, everywhere I wanted to go in the hotel mainly I could bring him. There was a nice big outdoor dining area. He could sit at the table with us when we were having dinner at night. There were a lot of greens around in the parking lot. We could walk. We were sitting by the pool. Dogs are welcome there. It was like, this is great, really. Well-behaved dogs get to go everywhere, and, you know, I think that's fine. But at one point Friday night, there was a group of us sitting outside working, and then their, like, the entertainment started, by the pool and there was a singer and we were trying to have a meeting and whatever so we couldn't really hit we were yelling over the singer and we thought well that's not very nice so we went to go move into the bar which was actually quieter than being outside to complete our meeting and we got all settled in and then the bartender came over and told me that dogs are not, dogs are not allowed in the bar
1: and i just said that uh, like you don't have to show id or something i don't know Is it it part of the liquor license that you can't have
2: dogs around? I do not know. I was trying to think of what the rationale is for allowing the dogs like in the restaurant, an outdoor restaurant, but the dog could be in the restaurant but not in the bar. Do you have to prove the dog is 21? Very few dogs live to be 21, you know? (laughs) the
1: I anyway know. yeah i can't explain that and the I, bartender didn't know yeah and right so that meant poor hooper had to go back to the hotel room right? which is
2: fine which was fine i mean it's not like i really i don't feel entitled to bring my dog everywhere i go in the world i just thought it was funny that he was allowed everywhere except the bar it's funny anyway so that is that travels with my well, dog it's probably
1: better he doesn't take up drinking anyway Liz. okay <laughs>
2: Uh, okay. Travels with my dog. And then the other travel thing I wanted to mention, my number one travel goal now is going to be to, uh, to get to New York city because have you seen all of the articles about the brand new Statue of
1: Liberty museum that opened last month, Julie, this place. I I have Liz. It looks great. I've been to the Statue of Liberty, Liberty fairly recently with some, some of my grandchildren. It's part of my urban Nana experience. Uh Uh-huh. Take the ferry. We do the Statue of Liberty. We do Ellis Island. We do that. But I have not been to this new museum, so I think I, I want to add it to my list. But you you're a former New Yorker, Liz. You I obviously know. have been to the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island before.
2: I have never never been to either of those two places. No, I really? apparently I should be one of your grandchildren, Julie. Because I no no when we were kids, Ellis Island didn't exist, but obviously the Statue of Liberty did. And I remember the one time mom and dad attempted to take all of us to the Statue of Liberty, we got on the ferry, we went out to Liberty Island, and it was closed because they were painting it, like painting the stairs inside. So it was still cool to be on Liberty Island, but nope, never went up in the Statue of Liberty. And then after 9-11, they closed it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then every time I go to New York, I keep thinking, oh, I should do the Ellis Island Museum, which people say is fantastic. Have not done that. And now they've got this, you know, spectacular looking historic museum out there. I think it's time that I finally get myself to the Statue of Liberty Museum.
1: I, 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 Liz, it's a fantastic visit. I'm sure it's only greatly enhanced by this new museum, which looks great. Yeah. Give yourself the, if you're going to do it, give yourself the time to, you know, to, Really, do the museum to do Ellis Island to do you know to climb to the top of the Statue of Liberty, Liz. You yeah. can do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. So many of you listening may have already tried this. I know we have a lot of people in the Northeast and also a lot of people that just vacation in New York City. If you've if you've been to the New Statue of Liberty Museum, uh, I want to hear about it. So join our Facebook group, and uh, you know we always ask you to post with hashtag Sat Sisters Travel. We love to see everywhere you're going. And you post some great pictures. So if anyone has been to the new uh, um, Statue of Liberty Museum, I want to know about it. And, you know, I'm headed to New York at the end of the summer for our niece Ruthie's wedding. So I'm thinking it might be maybe I need to make a res. I don't know if there are reservations involved. Anyway, I'm on it. Statue of Liberty Museum. Sign me up for that.
1: That's good. Well, as my as my granddaughter Alice says, Nana, you have a phone. So Liz, you have a phone. You can find out about making a reservation, right? That's that's, okay. that's, that's what she said to well, me. Well, Alice Alice okay. is right. All right, Liz, here is something else you need to put on your list. I have ten reasons why you and all the satellite sisters need to go see the movie yesterday. Oh, okay? oh good, good, have good. You heard, yes, you've heard about this movie. I've it, seen the it's trailer out now. Yeah. Okay. You've seen the trailer. Yes. Okay. Reasons one through four is the movie is chock full of Beatles songs. Okay. Just it's <laughs> great music. It's the Beatles. Yeah. So do that. Yeah. Okay. Reason number five, the director of this movie is Danny Boyle. Now you may know him from the other delightful movie, Slumdog Millionaire, uh-huh. you know, where he is that. always the theme of the triumph of the little guy. Well, that's all here. The writer of this movie yesterday, Richard Curtis, Perhaps you are part of the multiple club that have seen four weddings and a funeral, yes. or love actually yes. multiple times. Yes, have you seen right? Yes. So, so <laughs> that's who wrote the movie. That's who directed the movie. You know, you, you're you already know the vein that they're tapping into. This is going to be solid solid enjo- enjoyment. You uh-huh. don't have to worry about that. Reason number six is Himesh Patel, who plays the struggling musician. And I don't know, Liz, have you ever watched the popular long-running British soap opera EastEnders? No, but you ever it's, seen No, but okay. it
2: seems like every British actor ever was on that show, right? You always yes. hear like, this yes. person in this new movie, oh, they've been on the cast of the EastEnders forever.
1: Okay, so, well, he's adorable and just winning and uh, just, you know, you're you're rooting for him. So that's all I'm saying there. Reason number 7, Lily James. We love her from Downton Abbey. Yes. And yes. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> no, you no. No, no, you haven't, Liz, but you could add that to your list of summer viewing and Isn't... and you because again, Lily James is delightful. Okay? So she's in the movie with with Himesh Patel or cute. Reason number 8, Ed Sheeran's in the movie, Liz? What? Okay. Yes, Ed Sheeran's in the movie. And he's playing himself. Good. Okay. All right. He's good. Now, I know you're going to love reason number 9. Yeah. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon is in this movie and she's just darn funny. Liz, yeah. okay? She, she's over the top mm-hmm. and it's just it it is hilarious, okay? So She lifts just, up everything
2: she is in, that is for sure.
1: Okay. So you and then reason number 10 is that just some of the uh, the plot turns are preposterous, but they're delightful surprises, and you can just go with this. So, ten reasons why you should go see this movie. And you know, I read some of the reviews after I saw the movie, uh, and they were sort of lukewarm. You know, people yeah. were sort of. They are crazy. This this is this is just it's del- it's a solid gold movie. Go okay. Go see it, I, and I and I recommend it to. Everyone in the Satellite Sisterhood.
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. So that is your Entertaining Sisters. My Entertaining Sisters this week is I'm going back to the Satellite Sisters Beach Bag book list for for my next pick because I'm slowly working my way through many of the books on that fantastic list. Mm -hmm. So my next pick is Mistress
1: of the Ritz. Oh, and, yeah. That looked really good when Liam described it. Yes. Why did you pick that book, Nick?
2: Well, read it's historical fiction, which I really like. And this is the story of a real life American woman who secretly worked for the French resistance during World War II. And you think, oh, you've seen that movie a lot. But no, you haven't, because she did this while playing hostess to the invading Germans at the Ritz Hotel in Paris. And so on the Beach Bag book list, Liam describes this as part love story part suspense novel, novel, perfect for travelers to Paris or history lovers, history lovers, that would be me, and just Uh a fantastic story. So this one sounds, this sounds like everything, you know, and it's by uh, Melanie Benjamin, who also wrote The Aviator's Wife and The Swans of Fifth Avenue. So what is not to love about about this recommendation? So Mistress of the Ritz, I'm starting it this week.
1: Okay, Liz, I think that's good. All the, I mean, all the books that I've read on the list so far this summer have just been great. Uh, and it's a, it's a wide, diverse list. So whatever your interest is, fiction, nonfiction, we got a little of everything on yeah. that list. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So check it out. We had a
2: whole episode, podcast episode, where we preview a lot of the books on the list and we interviewed uh, Jennifer Weiner, whose book, misses Everything, of course, shot right to the top of the bestseller list once we recommended it. And, uh, and then, the, but then the blog post on our, website at SatelliteSisters.com Leanne put together a longer blog post with more books on it and I notice a lot of people looking for book recommendations even in our own Facebook groups. so just go on over there to SatelliteSisters.com and you'll see lots of book recommendations and if you want to post your own inside the Satellite Sisters Facebook group go for it because we, yes. we, yeah, we, yeah, we know we have oh, a heavy yeah we know we have some
1: big thinking there Liz good work
2: Yeah, <laughs> we have a heavy reading crowd we like to encourage the that yeah all about the entertainment movies books whatever okay so um uh let's see we're getting close to wrapping up we want to thank our engineer Sergio Enriquez who I mentioned at the top of the show always is here for us and makes it sound great Our uh, sponsors today, and remember, we always put links to our sponsors. If you look in the show notes, which you can do by just swiping your phone or hitting the cover art, you'll you'll get links uh, right there that you can use. That's our special URLs, so they know we're the ones that sent you. So, uh, so you can do that there. And there's a longer blog post at SatelliteSisters.com with more show notes.
1: And then what else? Time for our to-do list, I guess. What do you What do you have going on? I've got a big to-do this week, Liz, because my Women's Weekend Group. These are my college friends and that we have been meeting for decades. Uh, Once a year we get together. So it's a true satellite sister experience. Um, And they are coming to Steamboat Springs. So this is the first ever uh, for this group, we always meet on the East Coast. Most, everybody lives on the East Coast except for me, um, but and we've I've invited them for years to come to Steamboat Springs, uh, but this year they're actually coming, Liz. Uh, so I'm very excited about this. Of course, Colorado in the summertime is delightful, fantastic. There's a lot of fun things to do. But for me, always as the host for the, for the weekend, you have to balance, like we could do everything. We could hike, we go to hot springs. There's a balloon rodeo this weekend. There's a rodeo there's, you know, you can ride by, you know, you can do just any amount of things, but we always like to leave a lot of time for just conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, and the most successful women's weekends we've ever had sometimes are when we don't do too many things, but when we, you know, when we allow time for conversation collectively, uh, in small groups, uh, we always share a list. We make a list of all the books and movies Um, uh, that we've seen for the year that we recommend. And so I've got to I've got to balance that. And um, I obviously have to make beds and do a little bit cooking, but I'm very (laughs) excited about uh, about them coming.
2: That sounds great. Oh, that is super fun. Yeah, Yeah, you guys, this group has just been together forever. You really, you really make time for each other, which is such a beautiful thing.
1: Right. Well, and now it's a little easier because most of us are empty nesters. You know, we're in a different part, uh, you know, stage in our careers. I mean, you know, when we first started this group, it was hard to meet because we had little kids. We had jobs. We, you know, it was we didn't have you know, nobody had any money. I mean, it was it was hard to to make the time to meet to do this. So um, it's nice that we have this long tradition and this deep friendship. Yes, that is nice.
2: Okay, my to-do list. I'm going to be getting up early tomorrow morning, Jewel, uh, uh-huh. because uh, that uh, Megan Rapino and the whole team that ticker tape parade. You know, you can watch it live online, and oh, so you can? I'm going okay, to do thanks. that. Yeah, I'm looking at the listing right now uh, online. It starts at 9:30 a.m., which of course okay. here in the West would be 6:30, but totally worth it because they. They really did it. So uh, NBC4 New York is going to be live streaming it, you know, and ticker tape parades. What's better than a ticker tape parade for... Uh, uh, like,
1: Liz, I, are you going to recreate it in your home with Pooper <laughs> and maybe just throw some uh, printing paper around or something like that? Could be very, very festive.
2: Well, they have explained that there's really no such thing as ticker tape anymore because there, exactly. no, there are no tickers anymore. It's all anymore. digital trading, yes. right? Yeah. Exactly. So they just shred paper. It's just shredded paper. So I do have a shredder, Julie. I think that I might be able to recreate a little bit of that in the home. It's, okay, um, <laughs> Liz, that,
1: that that sounds really fun. Or maybe just uh, do it around your apartment building. You, all your neighbors, I'm sure, would enjoy a little ticker tape parade.
2: You're up to, you know, you're on
1: a higher floor. Uh, there, you could, you true. could do that. Just throw uh, it down uh,
2: onto my downstairs neighbors. Oh my God, can you imagine what they would do? Anyway, uh, you know. Uh,
1: uh, I think it's an idea, Liz. It's a big idea. You've had a couple in this show.
2: (laughs) So the fantastic women of the U.S. Women's National Team in the canyon of heroes tomorrow uh, along Broadway. It goes from the Battery to City Hall. I... Yeah, I think that's worth getting up early for. So that's what I'm going to do. So there you have it. What a, We
1: have a big week ahead of us. And, we do. Uh, thank you. That was a good show, Jewel. Look at that. We it feel... was fun. Liz, <laughs> see, we did it all. We right. did it from veggie burgers to uh, geopolitical <laughs> flashpoints. There you have it.
2: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to go to Satellite Sisters for the story of like who we are and why we do this and a lot of other things. You can check in on it. We are the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget. Call your Satellite Sister.